Well, good morning and welcome again. As Caitlin said, my name is Deanna Opheim. I'm on the teaching team here, stepping in for Pastor Nate. Uh, he and Ashley are actually on vacation, getting some rest, so be sure to pray for them. I hope we are all praying for our pastors, but let's pray that they get refilled and replenished. Uh, they need it. So I am here today, and I am excited to be closing out our series called Stronger. This is where we're taking a deep dive into spiritual warfare. And then we're also looking at the armor of God and how we can overcome those spiritual battles that we engage in daily. And so by now we've recognized that we live in a physical world, right? Pastor Alvin Brown was here last week. He talked that we live in a physical world and a spiritual world, which is the unseen realm. And in that realm, there are opposing forces at opposition with us daily as we walk this Christian life. So pop quiz, who remembers what the two kingdoms we live in or walk in? It's either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. And guess what? You are actually walking in one of those kingdoms, whether you recognize it or not. You're either walking in the kingdom of God or you're not. And so because we engage in these spiritual battles daily, what we've concluded in this series is this, and this is the big idea, the big takeaway, it's this. We win spiritual battles by using the tools that God's given us to overcome the enemy. And I love that it says to overcome the enemy because we will, right? We know the end of the story. So praise God for that. We have the victory. So since this is the closer, we're closing out, I think it's important to review where we've been and then we'll take a look at where we are going. So week one, what did we learn? We learned that there's a real enemy out there and he's got a very specific purpose and that's to kill, that's to steal, and that's to destroy. Week two, we started to take a deeper look into the armor of God by studying what we call the belt of truth. This is where we stand on the truth of the Bible. This is where we get our moral compass from. Week three, we looked at the breastplate of righteousness and how God imparts his righteousness on us, on a sinful carnal being. Week four, we learned about the shoes of peace. These are the shoes that spread the good news of the gospel and that we should actually make every effort to live in peace with one another. Week five, we learned about the shield of faith and how it's something that we take up in every situation because we walk not by sight but by faith. And then week six, we learned about the helmet of salvation and how it's something that we use to protect our identity because when we know whose we are, we know who we are, right? And then last week, Pastor Alvin Brown, he talked about the sword of the spirit, which is an offensive weapon that we use in this spiritual world and how it can combat the lies of the enemy. So with that, I want to review our key passage one more time as we close. So let's turn to scripture. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 says this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, and against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. 
Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the peace of the gospel. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. So that's six pieces. It's the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So that's six pieces, right? We're looking for seven. And I love the meaning of seven in scripture. It's got a lot of significance. Anytime you see the number seven, it's used to represent fullness, our purpose, perfect completion. Brings fullness to, to every situation. God created the earth in and, and six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. It's set apart. It's holy. This is the Sabbath principle. So what's our seventh piece of armor? Well, we're going to find out immediately following these six pieces in Ephesians 18. It says this, pray. Let's say that together. Pray. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So this morning we are looking at prayer as the final and seventh piece of armor. And I'm so excited that I get to talk about this because this is what actually activates everything that we've been talking about thus far. We cannot win any spiritual battle in our life if we do not stay prayed up and if we do not pray about it. Listen, in order to stand up in this armor of God, we first must kneel in prayer. It's that dichotomy, that upside-down dichotomy of the kingdom of God. Prayer is the deploying peace that activates everything. It's like if I were to, to want to make a fire. And I would have all the pieces for it, the wood, right, the coals, the lighter fluid, that fancy solo stove that everybody paid too much to get. If I had all of that, but I didn't have anything to actually light up the fire, those pieces are in vain, right? Prayer is the fire of the Christian life. It activates our, uh, our prayer life. It activates the tools that we use. So anyone living in the first century Rome, they would have looked at this outfit because this is modeled after a Roman guard's outfit, and they would have noticed that the most deadly piece was missing, and that is the spear of prayer, which is what we are going to be talking about. The Roman spear, we're calling the spear of prayer. So I want to take some time to look at some characteristics about this spear, this Roman spear that they took up. So one, there were several different kinds of spears. They had lots of options, lots of choices to choose from. They, the spears had different tips and were made out of different uh, material based off their purpose. There was strategy behind these weapons. Some were very heavy, made with really heavy tips, made to puncture the enemy's shield so that the enemy couldn't lift up the shield. He'd be defenseless. And then some were, were made with lighter tips so they couldn't be used back. They couldn't be thrown back. Some were made to extend the soldier's reach, to strike the enemy at a distance, to send out, to prevent them from coming. This is what cavalry had. They had 16, 17-foot-long spears that they would carry on horseback. So what's the point? 
in all of this and listing these different types of characteristics? Well, it's this. Just like there were many types of spears that those soldiers use, there's many types of prayers that the Christian soldier can use, right? There should be many different types of prayers in your personal prayer life. Our, our, our prayers should have strategy behind them, right? Purpose. It's, prayer's not just this veneered, mundane, normal, just repetitive chant that we list off. Our prayer life should be dynamic. It should be colorful. It should be diverse. So before we get into the different types of prayer. Scripture tells us there's, there's lots of different types, and we're going to review that. But I, wanna, I want you to hear me say this, is that prayer is the Christian breath of our life. It's like the, the H2O. It's like the oxygen in the kingdom of God. It should be so effortless in our life. Just like you're breathing right now, you probably didn't even notice your breath but you're doing it, right, effortlessly. That's what prayer should be. And when I think about prayer, I understand that it's actually a pretty normal thing in our culture, in our uh, culture today. We see people ask for prayer all the time. People who you know who they've never stepped in a church, they'll ask for prayer, right, and good vibes. I don't know how to send a good vibe, but I know how to pray. We see it all the time. We pray for our food. We pray for our sick aunt. Uh, We have a laundry list of things that we like to pray for. I recognize this. There was one time, me and my husband, about five years ago, we went to a Texas Tech game. I know there's not a lot of Tech fans here, but my husband's one of them. And it was, okay, there's two. Uh, We went down to Houston, and it was a non-conference game. It was in a big NFL stadium, and it was just loud, and there were the cheerleaders and the energy, and it was really exciting. And uh, before the game, they don't televise this. I wish they did. But when the, the players come out and they run out, there's this big boom and everybody cheers. And the players, they run across the field all the way and they go to the end zone and they kneel. They take off their helmet and they pray. And I, I was just so moved by that, this public, you know, this public act of surrender and humbleness before they play this game. And I remember leaning over to my husband and saying, Babe, they're going to need a lot more than prayer to win this game. And it was true. They did not win that game. They don't win a lot of games these days. But I say this to say that prayer is not just some normal thing that we revert to, this laundry list, right? We we should be praying different types of prayer. That should just be the minimum. Our God's not some genie in the bottle that we just give our rap sheet to. Our prayers should be robust, They should be intentional. We should be setting out time in our lives, in our days, to pray. Paul tells us to pray constantly. Constantly means all the time. And you know why? You know why we should pray constantly? It's because the enemy takes no days off. So we have to stay prayed up. There's battles at every corner. You know that shirt, not today, Satan? Not today. We're prayed up, right? So let's look at nine types of prayers together that the Bible lists. There's a lot more than nine, but today we're going to highlight just nine. So very quickly, number one, a type of prayer, uh, the prayer of faith. We see this in James where we ask for healing and we pray out in faith. Number two is a prayer of agreement or corporate prayer. We do this every Sunday. We have our our prayer team come up. We, We pray for communion. Number three, prayer of request. This is one that we like to take to God a lot, and we should. It says that we should bring every request to God. 
Number four, prayer of thanksgiving. This should be on our tongues every single time you walk out the door. There is something that you can be thankful for. Breath in our lungs. This 90-degree weather in October, you know, 20-whatever, right? We're, we're thankful for these things. We can find something to be thankful for. Number five, prayer of worship. This is where we put God in his rightful place, and we honor him, and we worship him on the throne. Number six, prayer of consecration or dedication. This is what we do at church sometimes when we uh, dedicate children, or you might see this in a marriage ceremony. Number seven, prayer of intercession. This is where my prayer warriors come out. How many of y'all have prayer warriors in your life? This is where you pray on somebody else's behalf. Number eight is prayer of imprecation or pray against your enemies. This is what we should be doing right now, Hamas, all of that. We should be praying that the enemy's plans are confused, playing that the ploys and the plots of the enemies are overturned. We can pray against our enemies. And then lastly, number nine, praying in the spirit. This is all for my Pentecostals out there. This is using your prayer language. This is letting the Holy Spirit guide you in prayer. So those, those are some uh, different types of prayers. Now I want to just look. I've, I've reviewed and studied facts about prayer. I just want to talk about real quickly some interesting facts. This might come in handy, Bible trivia night. I don't know, but very interesting. So get this. There are 650 prayers listed in the entire Bible, and there are approximately 450 recorded answered prayers in the Bible. So we see God answering prayers. The first time prayer is mentioned in the Bible is right from the start, Genesis 4.26. And the Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times in his earthly ministry. And in the Bible, Paul wrote out 41 different types of prayers in his letters to the church. And this is very interesting because I actually Googled those prayers and I went and read them. And it's, it's very interesting and humbling because Paul was, you know, he was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. Um, he had a lot of bad things going from him. But his prayers were so selfless. He was praying that the church would grow for the believers in the, the church. His prayers were joyful. And you would not think that knowing his circumstances. So Paul prayed lots of different types of prayers. Lastly, let's just review a quick list of different postures when praying that the, the Bible displays. You can pray sitting, you can pray standing, you can pray kneeling, face to the ground, our hands lifted high. So lots of ways that we can um, prostrate ourselves before the Lord in prayer. So there's a lot of fun facts about prayer in the Bible, but more importantly, the Bible shows us that Jesus he was actually passionate about spending time with God. It was something he prioritized. He regularly, he would stop and distance himself to be alone with the Father. And I, I was convicted of that too. How often do we just stop and pause and distance ourselves to spend intentional time with him? I don't think we do this enough. Jesus modeled this all the time in Scripture. So we're going we're gonna to go through a few different Bible verses. We preach the Bible here at Vintage, so hang in there with me. I just want to display certain areas and certain times in Scripture where Jesus would step away and pray. Mark 1, 35, it says this. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, that's very early, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Matthew 14, 23, 
after dismissing the crowd, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Luke 5.16 says this, Yet often he withdrew to deserted places and prayed, places and prayed. So after reading these, there was something, an epiphany that uh, just came to my realization. And it, it's this, it's that Jesus actually created the Irish goodbye. So none of my friends can get mad at me when I slip away, right? It's actually holy. No, I'm kidding. I get accused of that all the time. So look at this. While Jesus was constantly removing himself, slipping away, Irish goodbye in a way to pray with the Father, what was happening to the temple? Well, the temple was a place created by God to, to pray and honor him and worship it. But what was happening in the temple is that the religious leaders, they became greedy. And they actually made this house of prayer a house of thieves. And it's a marketplace. And it, their, their pride and their, their image became overwhelming. It was no longer a place that honored God. This temple was now a house filled with pride and idols. And I think to myself... What does your house of prayer look like? What are the idols that are taking up capacity in your house of prayer? Because God's word tells us our body is a temple. What are you spending your time on if you're not praying? Is it scrolling Instagram? Is it Netflixing? Is it, is it your work? Is it unforgiveness? Is it angerness, bitterness? Listen, I don't know what's consumed your house of temple, your house of prayer, but I know that you need to make it right, make it holy. Because look at what Jesus did to this house. You might remember the story. He rebuked him. This is the story where he came in and got mad, flipped the tables. I love that joke. It's a meme. It says something like, next time you ask me what would Jesus do, just make sure you remember that chasing around people with whips and flipping tables is in the realm of possibilities, right? Our, our Jesus is dynamic, right? I love that. So let's look and see it for ourselves in Scripture. This is what he says, how he rebukes him in Luke 19, 46. It says this, It is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He's warning his disciples to not be like that, to make sure your temple is a temple of prayer. And then he goes on to tell him that prayer should be combined with two other practices. Let's look and see what those practices are. Matthew 6, 2 through 4 says this. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. He continues, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in, in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask for them. He continues, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they, t they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. 
I tell you the truth, they have the reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. That's a lot of scriptures, but I'm going to sum it up very quickly, very easily. And this is what it means. He's saying, when you give and when you pray and when you fast, do not make it about you as the hypocrites do. Make it about God. It's a personal thing with God. It should be done in secret. We shouldn't be checking a religious box, right? This is the concept of religion versus relationship. God is after our heart. He's not after what you do showy in front of a crowd. Jesus, he goes on to say in Matthew 6, 19 this, therefore, and this is a very popular prayer, and I want to dissect it for a little bit, but let's read it together. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So let's just take a few minutes and step back. This is something that we've all all probably memorized by heart if we grew up in the church. But I want to acknowledge, God's telling us to acknowledge six things in this prayer. So I want to break it down for us. Number one, he's uh, asking us to acknowledge God's position. It starts out, our Father in heaven. Notice he's saying our, not our personal genie, right? We need to see God rightly in his place by recognizing he's not just this personal genie. We ask and he gives us the answer. No, he's our heavenly father. We are part of a greater family. Number two, acknowledge God's power. It says your name be honored and holy. Your name be lifted high. We honor and acknowledge his power. Number three, acknowledge God's will. This is a hard one, right? It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not D's kingdom come, my will be done, right? Not Craig's will, but God's will. This is very hard to submit to the will of God versus our own. Number four, we are acknowledging our needs. This is also a hard one because needs versus want. There's a fine line, right? It says, give us today the food we need, not give us today the car we want, right? We need to acknowledge our needs. Number five, acknowledge others. It says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those around us. We need to recognize that we live in community. We live in a spiritual family, and we should make every effort to live at peace with one another by acknowledging others. And then number six says, acknowledge your future. This is when it says, don't let us yield into temptation, but rescue us from the the evil one. This is saying to keep us on the straight and narrow every day. Keep us from temptation. We don't want our future to end up. So prayer is a beautiful, this prayer is a beautiful model that we can use and we can revert to if we need help or if we need some place to start. But often I like to tell people that prayer, it's really, it's just a conversation with God. And you'd be so surprised to to know how many people who have never prayed out loud before or have never asked anybody for prayer. It's a very common thing. And we don't need to overcomplicate it. 
You cannot mess up prayer if it's coming from your heart. Look at King David. We see his prayers written out in the Psalms, right? He's so bipolar. He's up and down, right? But he's just having a conversation with God. So before I close, I want to take a deeper look into a few big ideas about prayer to maybe help you feel confident to expand your prayer life. So number one is this. I just talked about it. Prayer is talking to God. It's just a conversation. It doesn't need to be this laborious, big, drawn-out thing. It's just a conversation. But we have to remember that conversations are a two-way street, right? It's not a monologue. If I was having a conversation with Caitlin, and I just got done telling her my heart and telling her everything I needed to say, and then right as she was about to say something, I just walked away. It's not a conversation, right? But so often we treat prayer like that. We don't sit and stay and hear what God wants us to receive from him. Look at this. Hebrews 6, 4, 16 says this. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This is saying that we need to come boldly to the Father and receive Receive his grace. Receive his, his mercy. Receive the truth that he wants to speak over you. Prayer is a two-way conversation. So be sure to stay and sit and listen. Number two, prayer gives us strength. It really does. It gives us strength. Luke 18, 1 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and to not give up. Don't give up. See, Jesus is mindful that we are humanity and we get tired fast. It's not even 12 and I'm exhausted. Like, I need strength. And so he's saying that prayer is a way for us to find strength, to find joy, right? Prayer gives us strength. And get this. Number three, prayer is stronger combined with giving and fasting. Giving and fasting is something that we should uh, accompany with prayer, It should be in our spiritual arsenal. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is basically just saying that the concept of three is better than one. And when you bring in fasting, intentional fasting and intentional giving, we can, um, it's like our prayers are on steroids, right? We can become stronger, more effective. Matthew 6, right after Jesus teaches on prayer, he goes on to uh, a teaching about prayer and fasting. So it's important. Number four, prayer changes things. That's so encouraging to know that your prayers can change things. James says in uh, James 5, 16, it says, The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Effective means it can affect an outcome on your situation. And so that's good news. Praise God for that. But on the contrary, our prayers can be hindered. Number five, our prayers can be hindered. A lot of people may not know that, that there's stuff in our life, sin in our life that can muffle our prayers to the ear of God. So I want to quickly review these. This is going to go by a little bit fast. I think we should actually do a whole series on this because it's so important. But I want to go over six ways that your prayers can be hindered. So quickly, number one, selfishness. 
James talks about you ask and receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask with selfish motives. You have pride in your heart. Your heart's divided. Our selfishness can prevent our prayers to being heard. Number two, doubt. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to come boldly. We need to have faith. If we don't have faith, he knows. We need to get rid of doubt in our life. Number three, our disobedience can hinder our prayers. Listen, if you are living in sin willingly day to day, not keeping his commandments, God's, your blessing could be withhold from you. To obey God is to love God, right? Number four, marital strife. And this is breaking the union. You know, in our marriage, it's, it's important to know that we are co-heirs. And when we are operating not as co-heirs, again, those types of relationships, that kind of strife will hinder your prayers. This is the big one. Number five, unresolved offense. There's this story in Matthew, and Jesus talks about how there's this man who comes to the offer, uh, the altar with his gift. And this man understands that there's conflict with his brother or sister, and that he has to drop his, his gift and run and resolve it. We need to make every effort to, to resolve conflict and offense by those around us. And then number six, unconfessed sin and dishonesty. I don't know about you, but I sin every day. If we're honest, I think we sin every hour. And that's why I always start off my prayers by confession of sin, by repentance. So my prayer is not going to be blocked by that. We have to remember we live in a spiritual world. And our sin, the sin in our life does have consequences and it can affect our prayers being heard. Remember, before we get to stand in our armor, we first have to kneel before the king. So as I close, the last big idea, this this takeaway about prayer, I want you to know, and it's a big one, it's this, prayer is an attitude. It's an attitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, prayer is an attitude. It should be so a part of who you are. Science and, and psychology tells us that what we focus on shapes who we are. It's true. So as Christians, if we are walking in this kingdom, we need to be sure to invest in our prayer life. To make sure there's no idols in the temples of our hearts. That we have an undivided heart for him. That we first stand, before we stand in our armor, we have to kneel to the king. Prayer shapes who we are. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.